I don't know if I was 16 or 18 or what I was, but I, I was young. I remember literally sitting down with my mom used to have these big legal pads and she would draw out the schedules. She used to have to schedule for seven different restaurants. So I'd go take this paper and I drew a line down the middle and I literally made a list of everything I liked about myself and everything I didn't like about myself. And since that day, I always keep that line in my head. I think about, do I feel good about who I was today and how I made people feel today? From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, a woman who's truly built a massive empire. Everyone knows Rachel Ray from her award-winning show to her best-selling cookbooks to her Rachel Ray home brand. There is so much more. But how did she begin and where did she get that incredible hustle from? You're about to find out. Rachel Ray, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. I feel like I should be thanking you because we're here backstage at the Rachel Ray Show now in its 12th season. Did they give you food? (laughs) We have water. You can't come to our show and not eat. What is the green room food for your show? Everyone that works here, um, all of our culinary team, they take turns cooking for the green room. So they're like pop-up restaurants, you know, to these kids. And they are just mad skills talented. I love that. So they rotate so that they each get a chance to like play really so our green room food is never the same food twice and it can be anything from fancy chicken and waffles to tex-mex to beautiful mediterranean or greek or uh, you know asian cuisine and i think that's what gets people to come back to our show absolutely Um, you know the way to anybody's anything is through their stomach well i would also argue you're the way that uh (laughs) that people keep coming back for more rachel and you have an incredible career at this point you i i think of you as a hustler. And I say that with total admiration. I hope you, you're looking at me like, okay, good. That's sexy. I like like that. You're an entrepreneur and a hustler. And I look at all these different areas that you're in. The iconic TV personality, best-selling cookbook author, businesswoman. How do you think about all of these different areas? It's all very organic. You know, I think that when it comes to um, building yourself or building a brand, you have to be true to that thing. And you also have to be interested in learning and growing. Um, you know, for me, our our motto as a team is um, accessibility. I never want to be the the cheapest of anything. I want to be the best value. I never want to do something or touch something or go on an adventure that I don't feel um, is plausible for our readers or our customer or our viewer to be a part of. Um, we're not about... Um, things that you can't touch and jump and do. I was raised uh, by people that work a lot of hours, and my mom would work 80 to 100 hours a week. She never complained about it, but we had a lot of fun in life. Um, We're not people that are balanced (laughs) in a lot of ways. Very volatile personalities, Sicilians are, you know. Um, And we we like the feeling of working hard, and, and we also like to play hard. I mean, my mom, as long as I can remember... We would go on an adventure just by going over to Vermont and going right instead of left and not knowing what street we were going down, you know. My mother always taught us to talk to strangers, not not to talk to strangers. Did um, that ever get you in trouble? Never. 
I, never. And I'm not one of those people that reflects on even negative things in a mm-hmm. negative way. Yeah. Uh, if I hadn't been mugged twice in a very short period of time, I never would have moved back to the country. Had I never moved back to the country, I never would have started 30-minute meals and so on and so forth. I'm not a do-over kind of person. I yeah. just don't have that mentality. No regrets. No. Not as long as I'm breathing. You you also, again, back to this idea of being an entrepreneur, I, I read that you started Delicious Liaisons. When I was a little kid, yeah. I drew a catalog. My mom had a rule when we were uh, kids. If you were doing something creative, you could stay up all night long. You would have to drag your butt to school. And if you fell asleep in class and got in trouble, that's on you. But if you were doing something creative, you didn't have to go to bed. You could stay up all night long as long as you were painting pictures or writing or reading or creating something. And I drew a a, a, a basket catalog for delicious liaisons. And How I did you make come up with baskets. that name, by the way? Well, Dangerous Liaisons, I saw. <laughs> I, it wasn't that creative, really. Um, and I, I loved, you know, anything to do with food and making baskets and making things pretty. Um, you know, I only made a couple of bucks at it, but it was fun. But I you actually it. did make money on it. A little bit. Not much. I mean, you know, this wasn't like risky business. I didn't make 40 grand in a weekend <laughs> or something. But You went to college at Pace for University, two years yeah. you, you spent there, yeah. and then you started at Macy's. Macy's, I started at a candy counter because I always wanted to work at Macy's my entire life. And uh, my the person who had my job, uh, my counterpart in Fresh Foods, um, had some sort of HR issue, and I was given her job, and my boss told me that I was not qualified for the job, so don't get too used to it. Just draw the schedules and, and call it a day. But I worked very hard. I came in when the store opened and I'd work Ironmans until the store closed. And, um, you know, I just got myself noticed and I got to keep the job and then I got a better job and a better job and, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that that's very much true in this country. To me, the American dream is, is very much alive. If, if you work harder than anybody else and you don't complain about it, opportunity will, will shine on you, period. How do you think about that at this point in your career, acknowledging that the hardest working person gets ahead. But at I a don't certain think point, about it. It's my makeup. That's who I am. I I am not happy unless I'm working. Uh, and I like working my mind, you know, creatively. Uh, I, I started a furniture line, but I draw that furniture. I don't just put my name on things. Mm-hmm. I started you know, pots and pans drawing an oval pot because spaghetti is long. And so the pot should be long. You know, it's it's like problem solving for me. Yes. Drawing something and then and I've always loved to draw. If I didn't work in food, I, I would be some sort of artist. And that's what I enjoy. That's what I do when I'm not working, working. And everything that I do now that's considered work is what I would do on a day off from any other profession. So who cares? Like this to me is not work at all. The Your point about coming up with solutions for people mm-hmm. based on your own life experiences. Mm-hmm. Joy Mangano from the, the the creator on QVC. That's how sure, she sure, came sure. up with a lot of her inventions that ended up selling on QVC because she saw a problem and she and said, I'm going to solve it. Exactly. That's what, uh, you know, all of my original products, the Mopine, that was my grandpa was the main cook in my mom's family. She's one of 10. So he did a lot of cooking. And he kept his Mopine, his, his kitchen towel, in, in his waistband. And that's what you'd wipe your hands with and pick up pots with. We didn't have pot holders. And so I created a dish towel with pot holders in the corner. Who knew? You know, people 
love that towel. It's gone through like 52, uh, you know, retoolings, you know, making it bigger and stronger and faster. It's like the bionic mopping now. <laughs> and the oval pasta pot and the oval five quart, the companion pot, I wanted to design two pots that if you had a teeny tiny stove, as I did in my teeny tiny New York apartment, you can't fit two round things next to each other. So these are two very narrow things that hold an enormous amount. And one of them is shallow enough to just make one steak or one hamburger. So if you can only have room for two pans, you can make anything in the world with these two pans because they go in the oven and on the stove and the whole spaghetti is long thing. You know, we don't break pasta. It just shouldn't even be allowed. Like somebody should come into your kitchen and hit your hand (laughs) if you snap pasta in half. My um, assistant is shaking her head yes Yes. in the background right now. So, (laughs) you know, you would have to stand there and just get this horrible facial waiting for the pasta to bend into the round pot. I gave the, listen, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I gave the world an oval spaghetti pot. What advice would you give to other people who are trying to figure out their way through solving a problem and creating a product that's new to the market? Well, start with that. Solve a problem, big or small. It doesn't have to be a big problem, just a little problem. Um, I mean, you have to find a niche. You have to find what your talent is. And then it really always comes back to taking work seriously, but not yourself. You have to have a sense of humor to have any sort of stamina in any job. And you have to value the work itself. I'm a big believer in that. You cannot be... I was a pretty miserable dish machine operator. It's not a glamorous job, especially when you're 14, 15 years old. You know, it's very stressful and you're covered with old food, you know. But it built a lot of character. But it is a character builder and I think that everybody should have to be a dish machine operator. It it would teach humility to a lot of people that need it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to value a job. You have to value that you have the opportunity, that it is not a granted, God-given right that everybody on the planet even gets work. So, you know, I'm a big believer in that. And when I was an at-will employer, which I've been for many, many decades, that is crap that I don't take. If you tell me it's not your job once, that's it. Goodbye. See ya. My mom didn't take that as an excuse, and I don't. It's the one thing that really pisses me off. If somebody says, I will not even try and do that. Because I don't ask anybody to do anything I literally wouldn't do myself. And that is something I just do not abide by. That's not my job. Okay, great. There's other people that would love to have your job. You know, I I hate to say it looking back, but in all the years of managing kitchens and stuff, I got so sometimes I didn't even want to interview people that went to the culinary. I'd rather have kids that went to SCCC or Johnson & Wales, less expensive programs, but those kids were hungrier and they worked harder. And they, they didn't wear on their sleeve, literally, you know, that they had a, a lovely secondary education that very few people can afford. I, I really love people that value work. I love being surrounded by them. And I think that's why so many of the people that work here, some of them I've worked with for 20 years that go all the way back to Food Network. Um, I'm a very, very loyal person. And the people that we work with here, we all believe in something. We believe that everybody should be included. We believe in making a promise to people that they should live and enjoy every single day of their life and it should have nothing to do with their bank account um, or what they have access to in life. Every day should feel special and fun. Um, and and that that's what this country is about. You should feel that way. 
we work really, really hard here, but we have tons of fun. People bring their babies. Whole families have been made here. People have gotten married, and now they have multiple kids. Everybody can bring their cat, their dog, <laughs> literally. Isabu. Yeah, Isabu. Happy comes birthday, here all by the, the way, time. to Isabu. Yes, Izzy turned 13. <laughs> 13's the new six. She's going to be the first 28 year old pit bull. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone is welcome to bring every living thing that they love here because we work long hours. You know, we want it to feel like um, a friendly community environment. We don't want it to feel like work. What are your hours? Depends on the day. I'm usually up by 5.36. If we do three shows, not bad. I'm usually on by 6. Ironmans at Macy's. I, I would work from 4 o'clock in the morning, get home after midnight. Running Agaton, Valentina. Anything in restaurants is 75 to 100 hours. I mean, this is a cakewalk compared to that. Have but you- we do about 180 hours of this. The most I ever did was 263 um, shows in one year. 263 263 shows. in one year. That's that, insane. That was the height. Um, now I do probably 20 to 40 extra half-hour hours and 180 of these. So, I mean, it's still a lot, but it's nothing compared to 263. I was a little strung out that year. And when you add in book tours and stuff, so... Were you drinking a lot of caffeine? I drink a lot of water when I first wake up and when I go to bed. I drink a liter at night and a liter when I go running or climbing or whatever I do in the morning. After that, I drink a big coffee and then all day long... Oh, it's so hot in this room, though. I don't even want to touch it. I drink Ruby's tea. I drink African tea um, and sometimes ginger tea. Uh, and then the second... And bubble water. I love bubble water. Sam Pellegrino and I are good, good friends. They should, <laughs> they should gift it to me for free. I'm their biggest customer. And then the second I get home, I open wine. I'm a wino. It was my first word was vino, so... When you look back on all of this, was there ever a time along the way where you doubted the possibility of any of these things happening? More No Limits after this quick word from our sponsor. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. When you look back on all of this, was there ever a time along the way where you doubted the possibility of any of these things happening or falling into place? You know, my mom's taught me, my mom and my grandpa are the most important um, pillars of of my, my, my life, period. Everything I learned of value, I learned from, from them. And I think that my mom taught me at an early age... It's about that work ethic thing, that if you work hard and you value that job and you try and be happy about having that job, the worst thing that can happen in your life is you go back to that job. So if you're happy with each step you make, it does give you a kind of fearlessness to try the next thing. Mm -hmm. And she always told all, all three of us, my brother, my sister, and myself, if you can close your eyes and see yourself performing that task try it chances are you can do it if you close your eyes and you're still afraid of that idea chances are that's not for you don't do it now there are basic skills that we need you have to learn how to drive a car and balance a checkbook and things but generally (laughs) speaking when it comes to your creative self i think that's a a good rule have you ever had to second guess or think through well this isn't the right thing not everything always works out but i'm not a second guessing kind of a gal 
you just keep working. I mean, and each day kind of directs me wherever it's going to go. There are many things I'm I'm not sure will work at all. I thought I was going to get laughed off the block in furniture. Like, what the hell is that kitchen girl doing drawing furniture? But I drew some clever designs, and it turned out to be one of the largest launches in history. Now we've got seven different lines. Sometimes, it, it, you know, if you bring a good product, it doesn't really matter what they think of you as a person. They still want the product. So if you're doing a good job and you're giving people value, we go back to that word value, not not something cheap, not something knocked off, but something original at a fair price. I think that that business math always works out. Always. Um you know, whether you get liked or not is a whole separate thing, and I've never really cared about that. I love me at the end of the day because I did an honest day's work, mm-hmm. and I've got a solid family, and I got my pit bull, and I got a sweet husband. I'm good. I've never been a person that paid attention to, uh, you know, I hate Rachel Ray, and this person said this, or this person. I, I just don't care. I don't work for those people. I work for the people that buy our brand for the people that I'm partners with on television shows and things, we owe each other respect and the best job we can do. And I care about those opinions. The rest of it is a roller coaster. So I I don't really look at that either. That's a very healthy attitude, especially now where Uh the opinions are free flowing around you 24 seven. Yeah, of course. I just think if you, I, I really go back to kind of Bambi math, you know, Thumper's mom said, if you don't have anything nice to say, Don't say anything at all. You know, if you want to make a statement about something, fine. Make your statement about what you believe. Picking, and I I wish our politicians were were acting more like grown-ups these days, but I think picking at people's person is ugly, and no one should reduce themselves to that. I I feel sorry for people that do. I I just don't think that that's a skill anyone needs. It's such a waste of time. It's horrible. Anytime I'm hearing that or it's happening around me it's just like why what's the point why would you put negative energy into the universe exactly there's enough of it out there already exactly a hundred percent nothing good can come of it you also spend a lot of time doing good as well obviously we talked about (laughs) is your dog and you you're part of the proceeds from your work goes to support animals all of the 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 you know, they give you uh, talents or, or a license fee for attaching yourself to to any product, right? Mm-hmm. So all of my fee of that for the uh, animal food is what's funded our rescue money. And we've given away over $23 million because of that food. But I really just started making that food because I had no food to feed my own dog. If I didn't make it, I didn't trust it. Uh, we've gone through that horrible period of time where people were killing their own furry family members. They didn't know it, of course, because we were bringing in food from all over the world, but primarily China um, was right. what was in the news, with fillers. And because they weren't being watched or tested or checked, people were killing their own cats and dogs. I didn't know what to feed my own dog and my mom has rescued uh i don't know dozens and dozens of cats but she has 14 of them living in our between our our houses and i I didn't know what she should feed her cats i mean i I couldn't even give her advice i said you got to cook for them my mother's buying rotisserie chickens for half of upstate new york stray cats it's crazy (laughs) and they only like the dark meat so we got really sick of chicken salad and chicken curry can i tell you so 
you know, we really started it for selfish reasons, too, because we're animal lovers ourselves, but it's funded. And the model was really based on something that President Clinton uh, taught me and and Oprah commented to me. I mean, that's name dropping crazy. I can't believe I well, know you were people, you but, sat on the council. And, well, yeah, I, but the, the point is that if you want to do good works, A, pick something that's personal. That's what Oprah told me. Pick something that's personal to you. I want to help feed children. I make my living through food, so we should be feeding people and eradicate hunger among American kids. I want to help kids afford school. It's a real big deal when you come from a small town and your family's poor. It's really hard to pay for any quality of school. Yep. So we took a portion of all of our proceeds and started Yummo. And that's because President Clinton told me, if you can drop a business plan, people want to be in business with you, you could take that same model and just use it to fund instead of doing these dinners and pop-ups. He came to our first fundraiser for Yummo. And he's like, not for nothing. This is fun and it's great and the kids are having a good time. It was a one-night-only restaurant and children chefs, our first recipients for our scholarship program, were the chefs for the evening. And it was President Clinton and Carly Simon. It was this big you know, thing. And he said, not for nothing, but net, 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 you're not going to make a lot with this. Don't do these things. Everybody does these things. Don't sell twenty thousand dollar tickets to something that costs two hundred. And you know, Billy Joel gave his tickets to his concert and stuff. He said, "Don't, don't do this. Just make a business model. You, you know how to do that. You're doing that. Just make that fund it. Brilliant. Like the revenue comes in. Period. You don't have to ask anybody for a donation. You don't have to do anything other than your normal job of making a dish towel that does something different or a pot or a pan that does something different." That's what funds that, and we use that as the model for the animal rescue because I don't have a human child. I have a, a pit bull. <laughs> so, you know, it just made sense for us. But one begat the other. One came first, the chicken or the egg. Which is, I think it's really smart for people out there because a lot of people will face that question of, I want to make a difference in the world, and they start going at it from, and it's not impossible to do it, but they start going at it from, I'm going to create the nonprofit. You figured out how to create essentially a for-profit that goes directly to, yeah, and there's there are a handful yeah. of business models like that, the Tom's model, the buy one, give one exactly. shoe, kind bars, uh, they do things along those lines, too. And the socks guys, there's the yeah. socks guys. Bombas, is yeah, it yeah. Bombas, Bombas, I think? Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a socks. lot. And that's, that, they are, those are really good socks. They're, They're really they were, on, they were on uh, Shark Tank. I think that's how they got found. Uh, it is I'm pretty true. Sure. No, um, I'm a big shark fan. Yeah. So, um, so, so it, it is kind of you were at the forefront of that, but now there's a lot more of these companies that are realizing, and I think it's a lot of the young people who it's, are creating companies who are awesome. realizing. Yeah. I mean, you can make a product you're proud of and fund the thing that is most personal to you. I, I, I love it. It's a beautiful model. As far as the food industry goes, we're it. Tastes have been changing, obviously, for, or at least I would say, obviously. Do you agree with that? Have tastes changed? I don't know. I never eat out. Um, <laughs> I think that the economy um, forced a lot of uh, restaurateurs and, and great chefs to take their food to the streets, and I think that that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got your food truck craze, and everybody went more casual instead of you know, more upscale. I think that that's a good thing. I don't pay attention to trends in anything because I think America, especially, always comes back to the middle someplace. And I'm a very high-low girl. My favorite restaurant in New York is Le Cuckoo. 
It is the most fabulous. I've been to Paris, and my experience was so sad, it made me cry every day that I was there. <laughs> Le Cuckoo was is Was it because like of the service or the actual everything, food? Everything. Okay. One of our camera people was actually born in Normandy, is a Frenchman, and he got into a fist fight and was arrested. Oh, my gosh. Like, it wasn't just us. Like <laughs> The actual Frenchman d- doesn't like Parisians, <laughs> apparently, either. So much so, he got arrested. No, it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be as a little girl. And it was just, you know, it's nobody's fault. Our van got broken into. It was pouring sleet. I had, you know, packed my bag like I was going to be in an American in Paris. And I was (laughs) freezing my butt off. And it was just horrible. It was just horrible. And I took seven years of French. So I thought I would try and speak French. And everywhere I went, people were like, I don't know what you're saying, even though clearly they did. I just cried all the time. All the time. But I mean, that was 30 years ago. But now I'm 50 now. And I was literally in my early 20s. So it's almost 30 years ago. But now look, cuckoo is like the most fabulous thing in the world. And it looks like the Paris that I wanted Paris to be in my mind, you know. But I also love going to you know, dosa cart, you know, and having a $4 dosa. I I love living in my hood, which is lower Manhattan. I love eating Lower East Side. I mean, I very rarely will willingly put on a dress and go out to dinner, you know, but I'm a high-low girl. I love being able to go to that world, and that's Mm -hmm. great. I also love that food has come to a place where everyone is represented and everyone is included and every price point can be met and you can have great fare. And I think... I'm blessed that I can spend part of my life in New York City and part of my life in upstate New York. There's a lot to love about country life, too. But I miss I miss the, the candlestick maker and the shoemaker mm-hmm. and the fishmonger. The experience that I can only now have because I'm fortunate enough to be able to live in New York part-time, I can't have any more in the country. Yeah, And that breaks my heart. When I was a kid, we did have the shoe repair guy. And the butcher shop and the fish shop. We don't now. And not that I have anything in the world against Target and Walmart. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's yeah. great. It's convenient. There's a lot under one roof. But I do miss that you can't have a small town experience unless you live in a big city. That freaks me mm-hmm. out. As an American, that freaks mm-hmm. me out. Yeah, the, the specialties, people who specialize in one craft are just so rare now. And we don't have a farmer's market where I live in upstate New York. I have a garden. But if you don't grow it, like, you know, upstate New York, it's very few, unless you live in like Saratoga or one of the more affluent places. I I go to the farmer's market next to my apartment and I carry 13 bags of groceries home to upstate New York. And then once my garden's working, I can cut that back to five or six. But I want to know where every piece of seafood and and meat comes from because I am fortunate enough at this point in my life that I can afford those couple extra pennies. But I also love that Target cares and Walmart cares and they've started sourcing sustainable uh, seafood. And there's so much more information. And they sell edamame. Right. And they care. Yeah. And I totally get both and I totally appreciate both. But it's sad to me that you... We've lost that, the small town and the small town in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I come from way, way up north. I'm much closer to Canada than New York. I went to Canada. I grew up in Minnesota. I went to Canada a lot as a kid. I love Minnesota. Really? (laughs) I love it. I love the whole Midwest. I love, like, 
for me, a perfect weekend or a perfect week off would be like Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, no, and like the Super Nothing Bowl is like Pittsburgh, I so want to go the there. Cities. <laughs> no, but when I was watching the Super Bowl, I'm like, that is the prettiest stadium I've ever seen. It looks like a museum of modern art. It, it, it's very. I pretty. love cold places. And Minnesota has great food. I will. Growing yeah. up in Minnesota, there's a lot of really good food there and theater too. And uh, we're both cheese-based societies. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah, upstate New York. <laughs> Seriously, and, and Wisconsin, we, and too. Wisconsin, cheese we curds. get cheese. I have and to cheese explain curds. what and cheese so curds Canadians. were to my producer Taylor over oh, here. Come she on. Didn't, yeah, it was kind of sad that Taylor, she had live a little. She didn't Take know what a cheese weekend curds. in Montreal. Have some poutine, kid. Seriously, uh, how do you, so? I don't. I don't even know the answer to this, and maybe there is no answer to this. But how do these foods like kale, for example, become a thing out of the blue? I don't know, but if you are buying kale for any more than like a nickel, you're silly. I mean, kale Where was do you cool get it when I was a kid. In, in the grocery store, you just buy a bundle of kale. Yeah. But people, I see them standing online to buy kale chips and kale snacks. I mean, seriously, all you have to do is turn the oven on. And it's $7 for like this little box that's worth literally two cents of crispy kale. And that shocks me. Does that not make you want to get into crispy kale market? Though, no, Rachel, I would never, slap your name I would on never that? steal from people. I, I just <laughs> wouldn't do it. I consider that crazy. Like you can tell people how to make it. And there's a lot of them that put a bunch of stuff on it. Like your ground cashews and fake cheese and stuff for vegans. And that I get. But just a box of crispy kale for $8, I don't get. Like, just turn your oven on. <laughs> I mean, I grew up with my grandpa. He was my babysitter when I was little. And for me, kale was always cool. Like, I had no friends in kindergarten because I had sardine and onion sandwiches for lunch. And for me, you know, we always had kale in a jar and kale in the soup and kale salad. And like, so to me, kale's no big deal. How it became this craze here, I really don't know. It's a weed, <laughs> and it grows <laughs> into December. You can't kill it. Once you cut it, it just keeps growing back. I mean, I love this stuff, but I, I, I don't get the, the fascination with this. The, woo-hoo! Kill everything. <laughs> what, what's been the toughest lesson along the way? I don't really know that. Again, I'm one of those people that I look at... Um, tough times as being very necessary. Like, if I could meet the little kid that mugged me twice, by the by, same kid. The same kid. Same kid. Yeah, because I maced him the first time and he came back and beat the crap out of me the second time. Oh, my God. But if I could meet that kid today, I'd just hug it out. Like, I, you know, I, I, because if that didn't happen, so many other things wouldn't happen. We're just not those people. My mom's not that way. My grandpa wasn't that way. We're, um... If if it doesn't kill you, it's 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 a motto for a reason. It really does make you stronger and more appreciative, it, and it'll ground you. Um, you know, I have flipped a couple of of cars in my life. One time because I didn't want to hurt the buck, like I didn't want to hurt the deer. Wow! So, so I hit the guardrail instead and flattened my truck so hard that I broke the axle and I crawled out of the car covered with gasoline and went to work demanded that my mom drive me to Albany so I could go to work because I had a cheese order coming in. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, I don't... My brain... I just wasn't raised around people that feel sorry for themselves. Yeah. We don't do that. We just get up and go to work. What's the worst advice you've been given? 
I know this is like a signature thing for you, and I really, I really thought about this driving all the way to work today, and I, for the life of me, because I'm just, I'm not built that way. I only think about the advice that's worked. It's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I try and stick by that. I remember once, um, I don't know if I was 16 or 18 or what I was, but I, I was young. I remember literally sitting down with my mom used to have these big legal pads and she would draw out the schedules. She used to have to schedule for seven different restaurants and she would draw these these big schedules on the lined paper. And I never used lined paper. So I'd go take this paper and I drew a line down the middle and I literally made a list of everything I liked about myself and everything I didn't like about myself. And since that day... I, I always keep that line in my head and I don't really think about it as advice. I think about, do I feel good about who I was today and how I made people feel today? And I, I really do make that line down my head almost consistently every day of my life ever since then. So that'd be like, I don't know, I'm 50, so that, 49. So that'd be a long time. I've been keeping that tally in my head. And I do remember the advice that works, mm-hmm. working harder than anybody else, being grateful for a job. My grandfather taught me once when I was having a fit and I didn't ever want to go back to school and those kids are so mean. He would tickle me until I choked, which makes <laughs> you even more upset than getting spanked. Yes. Is somebody laughing at you and trying to make you laugh when you want to be dramatic and you want to cry and you want people to suffer and, and feel your with pain. You. Yeah. Right. So for somebody to make you laugh, is like triple mocking you, right? <laughs> so then you're choking, seething anger on top of your sadness and totally. on top of your cracking up laughing, right? And he basically made me count my fingers and toes and then he knocked on my head. And I still had 10 toes and I still had 10 fingers and what was in my head? A brain. So he said, what the hell are you crying about? I mean, that's where my head's at. If people give me crap advice, maybe I lost a little money. Maybe I made the wrong choice here or there. I don't care because I still have 10 fingers, 10 toes, and a brain. I really don't care about the rest of it. I love that answer. Seriously. That's (laughs) wisdom. Rachel Ray, thank you so much for joining us on No Limits. Thank you. By the way, as Rachel promised, they did feed us at the end of this episode, at the end of the conversation. And just so you know, I always want to know what the menu was. It was Brussels sprouts, chicken, and the most delicious carrot cake I have ever had. So thank you to Rachel and thank you to the Rachel Ray team. And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And our No Limits Entrepreneur this week is Jane Mossbacker Morris. She is the founder and CEO of To The Market. It's a company that connects businesses and consumers to ethically made social impact premium products that are created by vulnerable communities from around the world. She's also an author and has an upcoming book called Buy the Change You Want to See, Harnessing Your purchasing power for good. Jane is a former counterterrorism advisor turned ethical fashion entrepreneur. She attended Georgetown School of Foreign Service with a focus on national security, then went on to work for the U.S. Department of State, followed by the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues. She eventually did an MBA at Columbia Business School and then went to work on humanitarian issues for the McCain Institute. She says that Columbia Business School gave her an incredible foundation for success, but it was 
during her time at the U.S. Department of State where the idea for To the Market started from, which is part of why we chose her story, because it just goes to show you that all of your experiences, no matter where they are, can lead up to the big one. Jane says she was inspired to start to the market after identifying two underserved markets. She tells us that on the demand side, she found enormous interest for ethically made fashion goods, especially among millennials and Gen Z. But on the supply side, she says she saw an incredible untapped production capacity in the artisan industry. She says she began to connect the dots during her time working at the State Department, but ultimately conceptualized the business after a trip to India. On her trip, she visited two bag and home goods producers that she says were employing vulnerable women who were human trafficking survivors, and this was helping to change their lives and generate beautiful products. She tells us her aha moment came when she realized the potential of organizations like these, and she saw that she could provide business opportunities for underserved and less connected communities by connecting local artisans with people who want to buy social impact goods. Before taking the leap and starting her own company, Jane tells us that she had identified and vetted a handful of ethical suppliers that she knew she could partner with to test the value proposition. In the early days of the business, when it came to funding, she says that they bootstrapped, but have since benefited greatly from organic growth and are currently raising a round of venture capital financing. Jane says that one of the biggest obstacles they've had to overcome was tremendous barriers to entry into the marketplace, like identifying and vetting their ethical suppliers from around the world. She tells us that they have overcome these challenges through their proprietary supplier identification and vetting process. She says they've been able to use technology to enable increased competitiveness in the sourcing process while maintaining ethical standards. Today, To the Market has more than 30 artisan cooperatives in over 20 countries, and thousands of women have been able to achieve economic empowerment as a result. The site lets you shop by cause, country, and by specific partner so you know exactly who and what you're supporting with your purchases. If she could go back in time and give herself advice, Jane says, follow your own path and don't compare your journey with others. That is great advice. When you look around, you're missing out on the path in front of you. Keep on it. Congratulations, Jane, for being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. I wish you and To The Market continued success. I love that you've solved such a significant problem and question, and I think what you're doing is really awesome. Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured on No Limits here as an Entrepreneur of the Week, you can send me your nominations at no limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. I read every message that comes in. I really do, and I love hearing from all of you, and I like hearing all of these creative solutions to problems. So if you've solved something or if you're thinking about solving something or creating something that solves a big problem for the world, target something important, send me a note about it. I want to read about it. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use the hashtag no limits. I want to give a shout out before we go to the fabulous team here who makes this happen week after week. Our producer, Taylor Dunn, our editor, Michelle Boncardo, our our research assistant Annie Osakwe and the team here at ABC Radio, including David Rind, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones. Thank you. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.